everybody, family. Welcome to the teaching for this Sunday, July 4th. Very grateful that you're joining us. We're going to continue in our series on Genesis 1, and we're going to be reading this morning from verse 26, starting in verse 26. Please join me in reading. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They'll rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth and every bird of the sky and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. This is God's word. We spent the first four weeks of our series just summarizing and ground clearing so that we can look at Genesis 1. And then last week, we started four weeks of looking at this section. What does it mean to be human? Um, And of course, that's very important for us as human beings. Last week, I talked about what it means to be made in the image of God. Then there was two things uh, that I pointed out, even though there's many other things we could talk about. The first is that being made in the image of God is a delicate balance, that we are made, not created beings. We are made. So we're not God. There is something greater than us in the universe that we respond to and we're created by. But we were made in the image of God. So that raises our status to something very significant. And that means that every person in this world has value. Every person is like that. They were created, that we're not God, but that we bear his image. But it also means that each of us has value. That's something that that needs to be preached and and caught and and, um, taken in for each one of us, that we have value as a human being because we're created in the image of God. This week, we're going to look at the second half of that statement. What does it mean to be made in the likeness of God? The Hebrew word here is demut. And there's three meanings to this word. The first is uh, that it's like, it functions like a simile, that we are made like something else. An uh, example of this is in Ezekiel 1, where it says, Above the platform, over their head, was something li- like a sapphire, shaped like a throne. So the shafi- sapphire sorry, is shaped like a throne. It's a simile. It's saying these two things approximate each other. When you think of the sapphire and what it looks like, you should think of a throne. The second way that it's used, uh, this word, is to speak of similarity. Just a couple chapters later in Genesis 5, it says this, When God created humankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created the male and female. When they were created, he blessed them and, and named them humankind. So G- Genesis 5.1 is a restatement of Genesis 1. Then it says, When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness and according to his image, and he named him Seth. So there's two levels here. We are made in the image and likeness of God. And it's, it's a, a similarity to how uh, p- kids uh, are made in the image and likeness of their parents. So they resemble them in a certain way. They're, they're similar to them in a certain way. And then finally, it's, it talks about a model or a plan. Uh, in the Bible, the, the best example of this is building the tabernacle. Now let's remember again, in the ancient Near East, there was this idea that there was a rakia above 
the world. There's this dome. And, and above that space is heaven. That's where God lives. And he lives in a temple up there. So when God tells the Israelites to build a temple on earth, uh, in Genesis 1, remember, the whole world is a temple. Uh, but after the, the fall, God is using the Israelite people to reflect his image into the world. And so he says, you need to build a temple, a tabernacle, a place for my home. And it's supposed to resemble this temple that's in heaven. And so God gives them this very detailed plan. And he says, create it exactly like this. They're supposed to carry out the plan. So all three things, uh, all three of those pieces are, are what it's saying when it means that we are made in the likeness of God. That we are like him. When people see us, they are supposed to see God. But there's a reflection, like our parents, we reflect them probably in the way that we laugh or in the way that we act, in the way that we look. There's also a reflection from us in God as well. And then the third is that our plan and the blueprint of who we are is God himself. That's, that's what it means to be human. That's the vision of what it means. And so our goal as people, our vision is to know God, to figure out what this God looks like, and to become like him. Not just individually, but as a group of people, as a church together, just like the Israelites were. We were to be made in the image and likeness of God. And for most of us, this goes against some of the deeply held beliefs we have in our culture. And the first is this desire in Western culture that we have for authenticity. That we believe, like the Bible does, that inside of every person is something great. But in Western culture, we believe that there's no outside vision of who we are, that there's nothing that imposes on us who we should become. Rather, I just need to figure that out for myself. And it's a journey of listening to my heart, of following my feelings, and throwing everything off that would hinder me and hold me back from what I feel inside. And this is the hero's journey in our culture. And what we would say it means to be truly human and it means to be truly free is living into that inner voice, that inner child, what we feel. And I'm going to call this the Canadian definition of what it means to be human. Now, there's many boosters of this story, but maybe the biggest one is Disney Studios, who release movie after movie and song after song that gear us in this direction. One of the, I think the one that articulates it the best is the song Follow Your Heart from Cinderella to a direct-to-DVD movie. And the song goes like this, Who's to say the rules must stay the same forevermore. Who made them, whoever made them had to change the rules that came before. So make your own way. Show the beauty within. When you follow your heart, there's no heart you can't win. So reach for the sky. It's not as high as it seems. Just follow your heart. Go as far as your dreams. There's a world for the changing and you've just begun. Don't let them tell you it's simply not done. When you follow your heart, you'll shine bright as the sun. This is a song that many of us, maybe you've never seen that, but if you've ever seen a, a Disney movie, this is the same idea. Throw off the shackles of what people say you can or can't do and follow your heart, become who you are. But if you become or come from a traditional culture or your families are, are immigrants, specifically your parents to Canada, then there might be a different song that's been sung over your life. And that's, not, that's a song of obedience. It's not about following your heart and becoming what you are, but listen to your parents and that's the path to true freedom. Now, this is not uh, true of only Chinese immigrants, but that's what I'm most familiar with. My dad is a Chinese immigrant. And in, in Chinese, we have these Confucian sayings that we uh, say and we learn, and they're just repeated generation after generation and generation to reinforce the values. And this one, I'm probably going to butcher it, is Bai Shan Xiao Wei Xian. That means filial piety comes first. That the most important value, the highest of them all, is the respect and listening to the people who have come before you, the elders in your life, 
namely your parents and your grandparents. That you need to do what they tell you. Uh, this, uh, even though actually my dad is a Chinese immigrant, I didn't grow up in this world. Uh, my, my dad didn't really, uh, he, he wanted respect for sure, um, but he didn't reinforce it in the same way that uh, many Asian families do or immigrant families do. And this came to, I, I came to understand this one day when I was working at UBC. I was teaching a student how to share the gospel and in the outline that we we're using, the first statement is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And the student was looking at it with kind of a puzzled look on his face. I said, what's up? And he said, oh, you know, my mom really wouldn't like this statement. And I said, why? And he said, because she loves me and she thinks she has a wonderful plan for my life. And he was kind of joking, but it's this idea that our parents, uh, you know, they have this plan and idea of who we are. And for those of us who grew up in the West or in a more Western context, this can sound very strange and stifling. But the heart of this idea is that our parents came here to give us a better life and, and a life of freedom. It's not Disney freedom. It's a different vision of what the good life is. It's a vision of stability and a vision of being guided into a successful life by those of wisdom who have come before. And they know what this life looks like. They've traveled this world already. They have sacrificed a lot to get us here. And so they want to give us this life of comfort and stability. And they want to help us do it. And that means listening to them. And if you're a third, uh, you're, you're born in Canada, sorry, um, and your family is an immigrants or, or immigrants, you can often live in the tension of these worlds that you, you hear with, from your friends and from pop culture, you know, follow your heart, rebel, be free. That's what it means to be human. But then at home, you keep getting reinforced with messages of, of listen to your elders, respect them. And you can feel pulled and tugged between these two cultures. And this is often what they call a third culture kid that you're not quite in Canadian culture, you don't quite feel at home in your um, culture of origin, but you are feel like a third culture kid. So what do we do? We have many different calls on our lives of what it means to be human, including the Bible's call. Well, in 19, uh, the 1950s, a social theorist named Isaiah Berlin wrote a very important essay called Two Ideas or Two Concepts of, of Liberty. I'm gonna say Two Concepts of Freedom. And he said, when most people think of freedom, they only think of one of these kinds of freedom, one or the other. And uh, the Canadian freedom or immigrant freedom. And they both have consequences to them uh, if we pursue just one or the other. So he talks about the first kind of freedom, Canadian freedom, and he calls this negative freedom or the freedom from. It's the freedom from everything in order that we could pursue the life that we want to be authentic, to become who I am and choose. It's the, really the freedom to choose. A classic statement would be, I'm not a slave. Uh, that's, a, that's a negative freedom statement. But Berlin said there are real problems with only focusing on negative freedom. Uh, I illustrated this with a Disney song, so I'll is illustrate the problems with a different song by a George Michael, a uh, pop singer from the 80s. And he wrote a song called Freedom. And the chorus is, is just him and uh, this a choir of people just belting out the words freedom over and over again. It's almost like a gospel song and it's got that fervor of freedom, you know, live this life of freedom. And of course it's an 80s pop song, so there's all the glitz and glamor of it. So what's the problem with freedom? Well, listen to what he says in verse three. Well, it looks like the road to heaven, but it feels like the road to hell. When I knew which side my bread was buttered, I took the knife as well. Posing for another picture, everybody's got to sell. But when you shake your booty, they notice fast and some mistakes were built to last. That a path he's saying lived with only negative freedom in mind actually comes with a big, pretty big cost. That sometimes the path to freedom 
can actually lead to a road of becoming enslaved. It's the path to hell. And this last sentence or this last statement in this song is so key that some mistakes were built to last. Some things you might shake off or some mistakes that you made on the road to figuring yourself out may actually last in your life. They'll haunt you for the rest of your life. And that's very similar to what Isaiah Berlin said. He said, if you only focus on negative freedom, which is what people in the West generally focus on, he says your base desires will actually take over and you'll find yourself not free, but enslaved. Instead of figuring out who you are, you might actually lose who you are. Here's what theologian James K.A. Smith says. When we imagine freedom only as negative freedom, freedom from constraint, hands off liberty to choose what I want, then our so-called freedom is actually inclined to captivity. When freedom is mere voluntariness without further orientation or goals, then my choice is just another means by which I'm trying to look for satisfaction. Insofar as I keep choosing to try to find satisfaction in finite created things, whether it's sex or adoration or beauty or power, I'm going to be caught in a cycle where I'm more and more disappointed in those things. We're going to be disappointed because we're choosing something less than God. But listen to what he says here. More and more disappointed in those things and more and more dependent on those things. I keep choosing things with diminishing returns. And when that becomes habitual and eventually necessary, then I forfeit my ability to choose. The thing has me now. And after the thrill of independence and the experiments in self-actualization, drinking your so-called potential for being to the dregs, When the exhaustion starts to set in and eventually morphs into a kind of self-disgust, you can reach a point where you know you want a different life, but you're enchained to the one that you've made. So two important philosophers and an 80s pop star, I guess an important 80s pop star, basically saying the same thing. When we only have negative freedom in our lives, the freedom of choice, the desire to be authentic and throw all the shackles off can actually lead to destruction and lead to us being enslaved to something. So that's negative freedom and its, po- and its problems. And so Isaiah, Isaiah Berlin says, Don't, that's not the only kind of freedom and it has its negatives. But positive freedom is the other kind of freedom that he speaks of. This is the freedom too, or what we might call, I'm calling immigrant freedom here. And the classic example that, that Berlin uses is negative freedom is I'm not a slave. Positive freedom is I am my own master. And this is, I think, a harder one for us to grasp, but let me give you an example of what this means in our own context. In Vancouver, you're free to buy a house. There is nothing stopping you. This is positive freedom. Uh, No one is going to stop you from buying a house. And in fact, there are many billboards with real, or this is negative freedom, sorry. I said positive freedom. This is negative freedom, that you're free to buy a house. And there's many billboards with realtors telling you and encouraging you to buy a house. Interest rates are super low. But many of us don't have enough money for a down payment. And so we lack the positive freedom to execute on our dreams and our goals and our vision. And and so your lack of positive money is a lack of positive freedom in your life. And so for some of us, we go to the bank of mom and dad and they give us that money. They give us positive freedom in order for us to fulfill our desires and our dreams. And it's basically saying this, you're not held back by your limitations. Not only do you have the freedom of choice, but you now have the freedom of not being held back by your limitations. And in many of our lives, especially if our families, like I said, are immigrant families, then our parents' desires is this focus on freedom, but it's positive freedom. It's not the negative freedom that we see in Western culture, but positive freedom. They're saying, we will help you make the decisions so that you are free not to make the mistakes 
that people make in their youth. Or we'll tell you what you should do because then you'll be free from the worry of what you should do. Just follow our advice. And so what are the problems with this? Well, there's a couple. The first is abuse. Now, Isaiah Berlin is, is a social theorist, a political theorist. So we got to remember that he's looking at things from like a national perspective. But he says that, you know, if we just focus on uh, positive freedom, then it will it's a, can set up a situation where we can abuse people. Uh, we take away their rights uh, to self-determination and we impose on them a structure of what it means to be free. And this is a, a great example. Current example of this is the residential schools. That when people came, the settler people came, they took away the negative freedom from people and they put positive freedom and they said, we, we need to civilize uh, these um, savages. And, and of course, we see the destruction that that caused and the abusive situation that that has. And because of that, our society has veered away from any kind of positive freedom in our world. But in our personal life, there can be two other problems. The first is a lack of personhood that we end up living for our parents' dreams and our parents' vision, uh, the vision of our elders, rather than the vision of God or any kind of idea of what our vision for life is. And there's not a handoff that needs to happen at some point in time where you become a fully, uh, a grow, where you grow up, which is the Bible's vision of what it means to be human, that we are to help people grow up into adulthood and people stay in delayed adolescence for a really long time and un unable to make decisions, unable to know themselves and who they are. We also give control, we can also give control over to the wrong things. I found this in my own life. As I get older, there are more and more sources of positive freedom in my life. I let go of negative freedom in order to embrace positive freedom. So a spouse is an example, a family, kids, job, mortgage, committing to church and a faith program uh, is an example of positive freedom in our lives. But each of these things or each of them can help us become more like God. I'll give you two examples. In my life, being a child so my parents who imported uh, positive freedom on me, they, they took away certain liberties that I had in order to help me grow up. They're a really important force in my life and have helped me to become, I think, more and more like God. And my wife is very similar. Um, I've said no to other things in my life in order to say yes to my wife in this marriage. And she has really helped me to see how I fall short of this God and to call me to become uh, more like him. So these things can be a means to become more like Jesus but they can also become an ends in themselves. That I can just focus on my marriage as an end in itself or church as an end in itself or my house and my mortgage as an end in itself. And there's no greater vision beyond being a dad or being a homeowner or being a church member of what it means to be a human like this Genesis one is calling us to. And therefore these things that are good can become traps in our lives and they can keep us from becoming truly free, which means to be made in the image of God. So both positive and negative freedom have their problems. So what should we do? Well, Berlin says something very interesting here. He says that we shouldn't choose one or the other, positive or negative freedom, stability or choice. Instead, to be truly free, what we need is both. And in Western society specifically, which is who he's speaking to, he says, we focus a lot on positive freedom. And so what we need, uh, or so we focus on negative freedom, and what we need to do is trade some of that negative freedom for positive freedom, the freedom of choice in order to become more stable and to become wise. And although we're a society that generally dislikes this idea, we do practice it in certain areas. School is a great example. 
my kids just finished their school year and they're very excited about the summer. They've created all these bucket lists of things that they want to do, uh, which is coming a little bit overwhelming. We're like, we have eight weeks to fulfill all this child's dreams. And my kids actually really like school, but they're not sad about stopping. They love not being in school and they're not really like crazy looking forward to going back. But we impose this structure on them because we think that it will actually give them freedom, that there's a greater vision of who we want them to become. And so we say, you need to go to school even though you don't like it in order to train your mind to learn, in order to train you to socialize and work alongside of other people. And this is what we do for anyone who has a great vision of their lives. If you're a musician or if you're an athlete or an entrepreneur or a mother, you trade in your negative freedom for a positive freedom. So you trade in your time if you're a musician you, you don't go and do other things, but you take a lot of your time and you practice to become good. If you're an athlete, you trade in your freedom to go to McDonald's every day and you know drink beer all the time in order to train your body to become a great athlete. If you're an entrepreneur, you let go of, of some of your social life in order to work long and hard on your business in order that you might see your business thrive. If you're a mother, you give up you know, your body, your time, your schedule, your mind, all sorts of different things in order to uh, love this child and to become a really good mother. And so we train for the things that we long to become. We let go of some of this freedom of choice in order for the freedom of stability and to live into what we've been called to do. And the Bible would say something really similar to us, to what Berlin is saying. That there is a blueprint for our lives. There's a vision of what we're called to become, which is no less than to become like God himself. And the potentiality is there for you to reflect the God of the universe in a unique way in our world. But in order for you to become like that, you need to let go of some of your freedom, uh, the, the negative freedom in your life. Just like I can't hop up right now, or if I had a piano here, I can't just hop over and play for Elise for us. I need to train, we need to train ourselves to become what we're called to be. If I want to be like this God that I've seen in Genesis 1, this God who is creating, who is creating a place of shalom, who is ordering the chaos of our world and blessing the world and blessing the world again and again, then I need to train. I need to apprentice. I need to learn. I need to limit and discipline myself in order to take hold of that great vision. And the Bible uses this metaphor again and again. Psalm 1 says it, as we looked at early in the year, that the vision of what it means to be a human is like this beautiful tree that's roots are down deep by flowing water, that's growing in every season, that's steady and stable, that is using its leaves to bless the world, and the fruit is blessing the world. And that's what we're called to be as humans. And if that's what we want to be, then we need to learn to delight in the word of God and walk away from those who are walking a different path from God, not to stop there but rather to, to walk towards God and learn to delight in him. Jesus says something very similar in John 15. He said, the, the vision of what it means to be human is to abide in him. Not to be running around and chasing a whole bunch of things, but to, the, to abide in Jesus, to find our life focused there, to be rooted down there. And if we are there, Jesus says, the gardener, God will come and prune us. And he's going to make us, uh, he's going to do things that seem like they hurt. We're going to have to let go of some of our uh, choice and freedom in order that we would bear much fruit, fruit that blesses the world. And that the, the, as it says in Revelation, that the leaves of our tree will be used for the healing of the world. This is the vision of what it means to be human. And Jesus is inviting that, us to that by abiding in him. But in order to do that, we have to limit ourselves. So how do we actually do this? 
I want to end here with two things, with two calls to action to live into this vision of what it means to be truly human and what it means to be truly free according to Genesis 1. The first is to receive the word of who you are. For those of us who live lives of positive freedom, the freedom of stability, maybe you know, you're know you younger and it's, it's a, a, a voice that's spoken to you from your family that you will become a doctor, lawyer, and dentist. You will achieve these things by this age. This is the escalator of, of things in your life that you need to do. If that's, that may be the vision of who you are, the totality of it. Or like I said, if you're a little bit older, you may have these questions, uh, you, you may have imposed those things on yourself. You know, I don't do whatever I want so I can provide for my family. I don't sleep with whoever I want because I'm married. And the answer to becoming fully human isn't to trade that stability and to trade that vision for the vision of choice. To say, screw you, mom and dad. I'm, gonna not, I'm not going to do what you want. I'm going to become whoever I am. I'm going to rebel. Or to run away from your family responsibilities because you need to be free. That's not the vision of the Bible to trade one form of freedom for the other. You're just trading the positives or the problems of positive freedom for the positives of negative freedom because you're trading one human definition of freedom for the other. And the Bible says stop trading laterally. Just stop going back and forth with those things, but rather trade up. Believe more about yourself, that there's a greater image stamped on you, that you are made in the image of God. It says you're a child of God, that you're a priest of the Most High God, that there's something you're uniquely called to do in this world, to reflect God, and that there's a greater freedom than either stability or choice. There's the freedom of being a child of God, of being found in relationship with Him, and the freedom to become like Jesus, to reflect the God of the world into the universe. And that's what it says in John 1, which is a restatement of Genesis 1. It says, To all who did receive Him, He gave them the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. It's saying that all of us have words spoken over us, that we're made in the image and likeness of God, but we trade them for lesser goals and we become enslaved to them, as Isaiah Berlin says. But Jesus comes to restore this name to us through grace, that we are children of God. He preaches that over again, us again with his words and also with his life, that we are valued, we're worth his entire life. And that you have a place in his story as a child of God. You, you are restored to this great call. Not because you've earned it, but, but through grace, through the person and work of Jesus, the true image of God. That grace is the answer to all of us who cry out for identity. Whether we're people who are re-enslaved to the choices that we've made. Or we're stuck in the holes of, of stability and to a flat life like that. Grace is the cry out to Jesus for this greater identity. And the, the, the answer that he gives us is that we are his children. And so that's the first thing that we need to see. That we receive, or the first thing we need to do is receive this word through Jesus that's spoken over us. But the second thing we need to do in order to become like God is to daily make the choice to say no to lesser things. So that we can say yes to becoming like Jesus. See, Genesis 1 is both a, a statement about us and a vision. It's a value statement on each person, as we saw last week, that no matter who you are, your race, your color, your creed, your gender, no matter what you've done, that you are valuable. And you can choose to believe this or you can choose not to, but the Bible and the creator of this world is making this claim over your life that you are valuable. But it's also an invitation to live into your identity that we are to become images of God. And I think this is so where so many of us as Christians stall out in our lives of being truly free and living into this vision. 
We want to accept the words that God says over us, that you are valuable, that you are my child. And we want to do the transaction to get that statement true of our lives. But then we become too busy to actually take it seriously. And a freedom, like it says, uh, like I said before, has now become its own chains. That we live lives as if we're trying to self-actualize ourselves. And we're making decisions like that, even though we want the, the statement that we are made in the image of God. Paul says it this way in Galatians 5. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So God has set us free from uh, the restraints of either positive or negative freedom. But then he says, stand firm and don't submit yourself again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to those things. Don't go back to saying, now I identify myself just by my choice or I identify myself just because I'm living a life of stability and comfort. Rather, he says, continue to stay rooted, stand firm in that identity that God has bought for you. And Christ compels us to live into this kind of life. That again, it's predicated on grace. There's no earning that we have to do. Our status is already good. God has invited us into this vision of what it means to be human. But it's not cheap grace either. That the grace that God gives us in Christ to call us back to this vision of what it means to be human should compel us as we saw in the Gospel of Mark, to pick up our cross daily and to follow him. And it's the grace of God that draws us into this practice, the practice of becoming human, participating with God and becoming like him. This is the vision of Genesis 1, that we have this word spoken over us, but that we also live into it, that we participate with God in becoming like him. And it's the invitation of Jesus who said in Matthew 11, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Are you tired from trying to authenticate yourself, from making all these decisions, you know, to try to find freedom? Or are you tired with just living on the ladder of, that someone else has built for your life, on this escalator where you just have to go to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing? He says, if those are true of you, then come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is the invitation of Genesis 1 and the invitation of Jesus is to come to him. Come to the one who can free us from the enslavement and exhaustion of authenticity and the flatness and the monotony of stability and offer us a life of, of vision and beauty. To Come to the one who frees you to receive his grace, to receive this beautiful calling of what it means to be human and then participate in it, to learn the unforced rhythms of grace so that we might become like him. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for this calling and for this passage of what it means to be human. And um, I ask for each of us that we would examine our lives and find out where we're living on a different story, on a different path and a different pattern, whether that be a story of trying to authenticate ourselves, of trying to live lives of, of just where we define ourselves by choice and trying to be free that way or whether it's a life of, of trying to be a uh, stability of, of trying to live up to familial expectations or the expectations of our family and that's how we know that we're okay and instead i ask that we would receive the word that you've given us today that we are made in in your likeness that, that there is a plan for our lives of what we're supposed to look like and i pray that each of us would let go of lesser things in order to live into that reality that we might, like this passage says, reflect you into the world. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Mm -hmm.